Grab a Bible if you don't have one. You know, you've heard me say this a bunch of times. I'll say it every single week. So as long as you choose to be part of this church, you're going to hear it often. You need a Bible. Uh, The Bible is the greatest gift there is, in my opinion, short of Jesus himself coming and dying for our sins. The fact that we have God's word, the fact that we don't have to guess who God is or what he likes or what he cares about or or where hope comes from or any of those things. We have it all. And it's people are so quick to dismiss it and say, oh, it's written by men. Well, let's just hold on a minute. It's written down. He wrote it down for us. He didn't just say, hey, don't forget. You know, he wrote it down. And men have preserved it and women preserved it for generations and generations and generations so it's no small thing to have it so get a bible turn to daniel maybe when we're through with what we're doing now we may come back and do daniel i haven't done it in a long time it's my favorite book uh i've taught it many times um i love 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 this book so we're going to be in it for a couple of weeks in the story we're going through it's the 26th book it's about 13 from the new testament so kind of go to the middle and then flip a few to the right jeremiah ezekiel daniel um, and you'll find it. And we're going to be in the um, second chapter here today, or third chapter here today. So, um, real quick, let me let me go back through it really quick. And most of you have heard this enough times, so I'd be able to repeat it now, which is awesome. That's why we do it so many times. So we've been doing the story of God. We've been following his, who God is, basically through his own word. And we started over a year ago in Genesis, and we started at the very beginning, and we've been walking through, not covering everything. We're just following the story of God. So God was before all creation, um, a trinity a God that's beyond explanation yet also knowable. And he created all things. He created the earth and the universe and everything, and he created the earth perfect. He put man, created man, and created woman, put them in on the earth, created perfect, uh, and then gave them charge of the earth. And men uh, chose instead, mankind chose instead to rule the earth their own way, not God's way, short version of it. And as a result, sin entered the world, death entered the world. But God told Eve, the very first woman in the very beginning of the Bible, in chapter 3, that there would be a child from her, a seed, a child, who would change it all, would, to summarize it, would bring redemption, would, would restore, would give life again to where death was, um, would destroy sin, would defeat the devil, all these things. And and so we've been following the thread of this seed, this child, looking for this child throughout history and throughout the word of God. That seed was passed from descendant to descendant to descendant till we came to Noah. Noah was saved and preserved on an ark uh, through a global flood. God kept that seed safe. On the other side, Noah had children and more children, and they proceeded on down until they came to Abraham. Abraham was where we pick up, and the seed's continuing to flow through Abraham's children. Abraham has, has other kids, but he has Isaac in particular, where the seed goes, and then he has Jacob in particular, where that seed goes. And then Jacob uh, has 12 sons, and the name, his name is changed to Israel, correct? Uh, and so then he, his 12 sons become tribes because they all begin to have families, and they all have these tribes of families, and those families stay together, though. So ultimately they form a nation, a group of people known as Israel, um, representative of the band Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. They find themselves in bondage, though God had promised them land. They find themselves in bondage in Egypt as slaves. God sends who? Moses, right. God sends Moses to them, and Moses 
demands that they let that the Pharaoh free the slaves. There's the plagues and all this event. And then God delivers those people out into the wilderness. He brings them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, what does he do? What does God do at Mount Sinai? Gives them. What does he give them? The law. Yeah, the Ten Commandments, the law, his word, basically his word. So all of this that we've talked about is the first two books of the whole Bible. All of that's in the first two books. So everything else that comes after that is centered around these people. So God delivers those people back to their land, puts them in their land through Joshua. And then in their land, they begin to rebel and, and uh, uh, against God and worship the gods of the land and thing and then god delivers them and then they worship the gods and god delivers them you have this looping thread going on judges are raised up to help deliver the people kings come up prophets come up that speak for god with the kings all these things are happening but despite god's best attempt to get these people to repent and to stay faithful to him in his land uh they continue to rebel continue to worship idols continue to to do these things until god says you're out of here you're out. Um, Assyria conquers the northern half of Israel, and then Babylon conquers the southern half of Israel. So in 586 B.C., history, look it up. Babylon drags the remnants, what was left of Israel, into slavery. One of those who was taken is Daniel. So when Daniel is writing this, we don't know exactly when, but it was in around the time of 586 B.C., and he is in Babylon as not just a slave, but he is a particularly unique slave in the situation he's in. He's in the palace, and he's kind of directly related to the king. Um, that's where he got assigned to be. So that's what we're looking at today, all right? And we're going to look at three of the most underused faith words in the Bible, but if not. People are so afraid of those three words, but if not. The whole name it and claim it movement is directly opposed to those three words, but if not. Um, if God doesn't rescue. Look at Daniel uh, chapter 3. I'm looking at verse 17. Um, turn my Bible there. Uh, Ezekiel. You know, some people put bookmarks. Not me, man. I'm too good for that. I'm just going to turn. All right, here we go. Daniel chapter 3. It's always one page more. There we go. Let me read um, read a few verses here. I'm going to read verse 17. Um, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. These are three boys talking to Nebuchadnezzar. But if not, be it known to you, O king, That we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's these three three boys. They're uh, refugees from or slaves that were taken from uh, uh, Israel alongside of Daniel. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Lord, your word is amazing. As I do every week, Lord, I ask that you put your word in my mouth, not the other way around. I'm never trying to put words in yours because I want to know what you have to say first. Um, I know I have the privilege of a microphone, Lord, but I'm just a student. I want to hear from your word. I want to learn from your word. I want to be 
I want to see you today. Um, like Deidre said, I want to walk out of here excited about your word to the point that I want to tell the first person I see. Um, not because of what comes out of my mouth, but because of what your word says. Love you, Lord. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Normally, if you've been listening to me talk for a while, I insert a pretty creative little illustration here, <laughs> or I think of one, or I try to come up with one, but I decide not to this time because the story's too good. It doesn't need an illustration. The story's great. So here's your point to remember, and it's on the sheet back there if you've got one. If you don't have one, it's okay. It's just a central point to keep in your mind as we go through this story. It's this. Faith that has power, faith that has power is not displayed through our rescue but in knowing the one who is able to rescue well enough to both trust and worship him even if he doesn't rescue. All right? So look at chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1. We're going to cover a fair amount here, but most of it's reading, so don't freak out. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, so this is the king in Babylon, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. That's basically a cubit's about 18 inches, so this is like 90 feet tall, this statue. And his breadth was six cubits, so it's about nine feet across, nine feet tall, uh, 90 feet tall, nine feet across. And he set it on the plain of Dura. Doesn't matter if you know where that is in the province of Babylon. Basic point here is it's on a plain. So 90 foot tall statue on a plain is going to be incredibly visible. And that was the point. He didn't put it in the center of town. He put it where everybody in the whole province would be able to see that or walk past it or whatever. So what led him to do this? We'll look back in chapter 2, uh, and we'll look at it. But Nebuchadnezzar has, I won't look at it all, but he has a dream. And in this dream, he's, he sees a vision. He knows it's a vision. So he calls all of his magicians and his seers, his, like, uh, uh, you know, m- uh, magi, his wise men. He calls them all to himself, and he says, hey, I had a dream. I need an interpretation. They're like, cool, great. We'll, we'll take care of that for you, king. Tell us what you dreamed. He says, No. You tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what the interpretation is. Like, are you crazy? Nobody can do that. And he said, well, what kind of magicians are y'all? If you can't even tell me what the dream is, good on him for that one, right? And as a result, he's going to have them put to death because he thinks they're all fakes, which largely they are. So Daniel, who is among them, because as a slave, that's where he was placed is with those people. Daniel ends up saying, hey, let me pray to God about this, and then I'll come to you, and God will give me an answer. And so Daniel prays, he gives him the opportunity, Daniel prays, and God shows him the meaning. Uh, and Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, tells him, only the God of heaven could have revealed this. Like, I'm not taking credit for it, it's not me. Only the God of all creation could have revealed this to me. And here's what he revealed. So look, in, and you can see, I think I have an image of it, I don't know if I gave, yeah, that's just, nobody knows, obviously, but that'll give you, a, so you can hold it in your head for some you know, mentally. Uh, Daniel 2, look at verse 31. This is what he saw. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image, mighty and exceedingly bright. It stood before you, and its appearance was frightening, overwhelming. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. It struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all of it, they were broken into pieces, and they became like chaff in the summer threshing, floor. they blew away like uh, weeds. 
And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them could be found. But the stone that had struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, we're not studying prophecy right now. We could come do that later. I told you this is my favorite book. I've dug deep, deep in the whole prophecy of this book. But we're not looking at that right now. But there's a point to be made again. Just deciding, I said this last week, just deciding what you want it to mean is dangerous. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, at least initially, did want the truth of what does this mean. That's why he called all these people in to sort it out. Uh, and they are very specific kingdoms. Looking back at history, it's, it's easy for us to see this. But Daniel is telling him what he sees. And throughout the book of Daniel, which we won't cover all this, but throughout the book of Daniel, Daniel gets more and more detail of what these different sections are. The head of gold is Babylon. In 586 B.C., the silver chest is Media Persia. In 539 B.C., they conquer Babylon. History. This is all history. You can go look at it. The bronze waste in, it was Greece, 334 to 330. In that ballpark, they end up conquering Persia, and they become the world power. All of these are global kingdom world powers. And then the last one, who came after Greece? Rome, right? 63. Rome comes. Um, and there's more here, but we're not going to go into all that. The stone... Who's the stone that strikes these kingdoms of men and pulls them all down? Stone, not not from any man. God, right? That's Christ. He is the stone that brings down all of these kingdoms, and his kingdom fills the earth. So there's a prophecy here towards, towards Christ. So that's what he's telling him. But look how Daniel describes the first kingdom again. Look at this in chapter 2. The first gold kingdom. Look how he describes it. This was the dream, verse 36. Excuse me, chapter 2, verse 36. This was the dream. Now, let me tell you his interpretation. By the way, one of the great parts about Daniel is most of the time, there is an interpret. You don't have to guess. He'll tell you what it is most of the time. So he says, let me tell you what it means. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he, God, has given Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. So he's saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold, but he's speaking to him as ruler of Babylon. Clearly, though, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't pay any attention to the words, has given. (laughs) He doesn't even hear him say, God has given. All he's hearing is, you rule them all, you're the head of gold, you're the king of kings, you're God. You know, in manner of speaking. Again, like I said, interpretation matters. God's not giving an inkblot test here. He's communicating something to him. He's trying to tell him something. Nebuchadnezzar is hearing God's words, but he's only hearing the parts that are about him. That's a pretty story. Tell me the part about me. Who cares about the bronze and the, you know, the clay and all that? Who cares about all that? The legs and all that stuff. Like, what's the part about me? Tell me about me. Um... And he's claiming God's gift here, in essence, for his own worship. Does that ever happen today? (laughs) I mean, come on. Look back in chapter 3, verse 2. So Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue, right? Uh, Chapter 3, verse 2. Then Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of this big image that he built that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up basically most believe an image to himself 
You know what I mean? He's built this big gold statue. Most people think it was his own image. doesn't directly say that, but it's a person. Likely was a, I'm the gold, so make me a 90-foot gold statue in my honor. Verse 3. Then these satraps, prefects, all of these, all these officials of the provinces, they gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You're commanded, O peoples, nations, languages. Why do they have to say that? Well, they've conquered the world, so these are all captives. They're saying, If you're a slave, I don't care what nation you came from. If you came from Syria, if you came from India, if you came from Egypt, if you came from Israel, wherever you speak, whatever your language, wherever you're from, doesn't matter. When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music. Basically saying, I don't care what instrument it is that plays it, or if they all play it together, whenever you hear the sound, probably like an anthem of some kind. Fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship immediately shall be cast into burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard, yeah, okay, I hear you, the sound of the horn that lists all of them again and every kind of nation, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Why music, do you think, by the way? You know, I said I say every week, I kind of tease about it, and last week I kind of got to cutting up about it. But, like, if the music is upbeat and full of joy and you want to clap, clap, you know what I mean? If you want to celebrate, celebrate. If you want to, you know, Josh was telling me he was dancing with one of his daughters last week. I'm like, that's great. Like, if the music is doing that, why do you think it is music? Why didn't he just say, hey, when you hear the sounds of the trumpet, take a knee? Music moves people, and not necessarily always in good ways. You know what I mean? Think about it. Music is a universal language. doesn't matter where these people come from. doesn't matter. I don't understand. What did he say? Did he say, I don't speak that language? What does he want me to do? Bow and knee? They don't, they don't, they don't even have a problem. You know music. You hear music. You hear this tune. What happens when the Star Spangled Banner plays? Yeah, I mean, I know there's debate about that now, but... That's beside the point. You understand that when when that sound is heard, instinctively you stand up, you maybe cover your heart, take off your hats, whatever. There's an instinctive response when you hear that song. Same kind of thing. It doesn't matter what language you speak, you're going to respond to this. It also speaks to your emotions. If you hear somebody sing the national anthem, in, 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 maybe it's a soldier who's lost everything overseas and has an amazing voice and is singing it in tears. Don't it make you emotional? should it's just a song song you've heard a bunch of times but something about it being sung under those conditions makes you emotional music speaks to your heart it causes a desire to want to worship or honor or respect it causes a desire in you to want some form of response now we don't use music for the sake of forcing people's emotions but yes we love emotions that's the point of music it's a gift it's just when it becomes an abuse, but it's a gift. It should move you to emo- emotional response in some way, shape, or form. Anyway, that's why. So look at verse 8, chapter 3. Therefore, at that time, though, certain Chaldeans, Chaldeans another word for Babylonians, so people of Babylon, certain ones, doesn't say which, but certain ones, 
came forward and maliciously accused, it says, the Jews. So they, they, they weren't only pointing at these three. They don't like any of them. They don't like any of them. Of all the nations they've conquered, in particular, they hate the Jews. All right? And these particular people come and accuse them. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, you made a decree, every man who hears the sound of the instruments, whatever, to fall down and worship the image. Verse 11, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you can read that back in chapter 1 and 2 on your own time. They came with Daniel, and just like Daniel, they were put in charge of some things as because they were intelligent, educated, but they were slaves. Okay? You can go read that your own time, first two chapters. So they're saying, you put these guys in charge, but these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They don't serve your gods, and they certainly won't worship your golden image that you set up. Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage. That is a double statement on purpose. Furious rage. Uh, shaking mad. Commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to him, Is it true? Is it true? You don't serve my gods and you won't worship the image that I said. Is it true? Verse 15, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. If you're ready, he said, if you're ready, let's just call it even, okay? Let's just call it even. I know what they're saying. But if you're ready, when you hear the sound, fall down and worship the image that I've made well and good. So you just tell me that when you hear the music again, you're going to worship and we're cool. Like when you hear the music again, you're going to worship, you're cool. Just tell me, tell me that and we'll be cool. Nebuchadnezzar's an interesting character you read this book. He flips back and forth from I want to kill you to I want to love you. So it's almost like he wants to kill this dude and these guys immediately, but when they get there and he sees them to their face, he's like, hey, guys, just take a knee, man. But if you don't, you're going to immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. And great question here. Don't forget this question ever. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Phenomenal question. Apparently, this fiery furnace was legendary. You can read it in your own time, but in Jeremiah, I think he was at chapter 29, Jeremiah talks about false prophets and some other people being burned in this furnace. And Jeremiah is in Israel. He's still left behind in Jerusalem, but he's heard about the furnace. So this thing is apparently legendary. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't say, okay, king, we hear you. It's cool. We hear you. And walk off and wait for the music to play again and decide what to do. Probably what I would have done. I'd have probably said, "Okay, King, I hear you," and then walked off and tried to decide. Okay, when the music plays the next time, what are we going to do? Because now they're watching it. That's probably what I would have done. That's not what they do. Not what they do. They answered him right away. Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. <laughs> wow, you talk about insulting him to his face. We don't owe you an explanation. That's modern-day language. We don't owe you anything, bro. We, we don't owe you anything. If this be so, if what you're saying is true, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Look at that. Is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And look at this. This is a key little caveat here. We could almost put in parentheses. And he will deliver us out of your hand. Either way, no matter what they're saying is no matter what happens to us, you can't have us. 
No matter what happens to us, if you burn us alive to death, you still don't get to have us. Now, we're still in his hand. You don't get to have us. And then he says, but if not, if not, he's able to deliver, but if not, verse 18, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship that image you set up. Man. And Nebuchadnezzar now, filled with fury, it says the expression on his face was changed. It's like he became so mad that he was shaking mad to the point that his face almost looked different. Like red, eyes red, I don't know, put, put, put whatever image you want there. His face becomes distorted, he's so furious at him. And he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. It's already legendary for how hot it is, there was no need to make it hotter. But he's just that mad. Seven times hotter. I don't know what that takes, but it tells you that he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind them and cast them into this burning furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And look at verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was actually overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took them up there. So just getting close enough, that probably was a, we don't know what it looked like. But it's probably a big enough furnace that it has a door that you could walk into, but they're dropping people in it from above. It's probably just open, flaming out the top, and they probably got a walk path up to the top, and they just throw them down in. Um, and they probably have a door you can walk in where you could clean it back out when it was over. But they go up to throw them in, and he's got it flaming so much and so hot that it kills the people who are trying to throw them in. And these men... Look at this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell, bound into the furnace. In essence, these men offered themselves to God. In essence. Paul, in Romans 12, may have had them in mind. You can make a note of it, but Paul in Romans 12, 1 said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Which is your worship. It's your body, God. You could do what you want with it. Lord, this body, Dave, Dave's body, sure, you can do what you want with it. You can take me where you want me to go. You can take me. Do anything you want to do. Verse 24, back in Daniel 3. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. All of a sudden, he freaks out. He rises up. And he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true. And he said, but I see four men unbound, walking. That's amazing. Walking in the midst of the fire. So he's probably sitting on some prepared seat, not necessarily a throne, but that kind of thing, where he can watch through the doorway. And he sees them walking around. And they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. What a profound description, because I believe it was the son of God in his presence among these three walking around just picture this moment man (laughs) but nebuchadnezzar came near the door as close as he could get with the fire and he says shatter me shatter and better go servants of the most high come out come out come here and they come out from the fire notice the fourth man is gone fourth man was not there for nebuchadnezzar's entertainment fourth man was there for those three boys and the satraps, prefects, governors, kings, counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had had no power whatsoever over the bodies of these men. That's an amazing statement, the way that's worded. Had not had any power 
over the bodies. It was real fire. It would really burn people. It killed the ones who threw them in, but not on their bodies. Their bodies were defended. The hair of their head was not singed. The cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire. It didn't even smell like smoke. Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said, Blessed be the God, blessed be your God, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. Now, this is, this is him making an observation. He's not, he's, it doesn't mean that there was an angel. I think it was the God. But he's, he's saying that what he saw. Delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies. There it is. They offered their bodies a living sacrifice. They yielded up their bodies rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn, torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Now, it's possible, I mean, it's powerful what he's saying there, um, but it doesn't say he took down the statue. It doesn't say he... Anything about don't worship me doesn't say anything about don't worship my gods. It just says don't say anything about their God. Now, as you read the book, you'll see there's a progressive path that Nebuchadnezzar gets on towards running into God. And I believe he gets, I believe he becomes a believer um, by, I think, the sixth chapter, fifth chapter in there somewhere. But in any event, at this point, he's believing that their God is one of the gods who is all-powerful. But either way, this is not about Nebuchadnezzar. Well, let me make some comparisons really quick. Nebuchadnezzar versus the fourth man. Nebuchadnezzar versus, I believe, to be the son of God, Jesus. All right? Nebuchadnezzar demands worship from the people. Jesus received worship from people because they adored him. Because they loved him. Because they believed in him. Nebuchadnezzar was separated from the people in a big palace. And telling them all to go out and praise my statue. Jesus was among the people. Even in the fire here. Torture. Whatever you want to call it. Um, Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of gold to display his wealth. Jesus left his wealth to become a man. Nebuchadnezzar makes this image giant and imposing displaying power. Jesus is the image of God born in as, a, as a man in a manger. Complete opposite. Nebuchadnezzar said, worship me or die. Jesus said, worship me and live. Two totally different approaches. God doesn't just rescue us from the fire, though. Oftentimes, he walks with us in it. Think about prisoners or inmates or people in persecuted places. Doesn't automatically rescue. Sometimes he walks with us through it. The weight of this story, my point is this, and I'm almost done. The weight of this story is, it's not set on the miracle in the fire. That's not where the weight of this, that's where we like it to be, but that's not, not where it is. And It's the faith of those who had no guarantee of a miracle, yet boldly stood on their faith anyway. That, that's the thing that's in here, that they knew the fourth man, I'm calling him that, they knew the fourth man in the fire before they went into the fire. They already knew him. Faith always says, but if he doesn't save. That's the point of faith. But if he doesn't save, 
still I worship him. There's countless. We won't read them all. I'll give you like two. Job chapter 13 verse 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. If he himself kills me, my hope's still in him. You know what I mean? Uh, Habakkuk, we've talked, we've gone over both of these in our walk through the word. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17. Habakkuk said, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive field fail, and the fields yield no food at all, and the flock be cut off in the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, that there's nothing to eat, there's nothing, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. That's it. But even if not, still. Now I hear you, Habakkuk saw good times. Job was restored. These boys are saved. You know, all three of them come out of the fire. True. But does that make it a formula for a miracle? You know, is that how they work? How do you make sure God rescues you? I'll tell you how. You become God and tell him to. Become God and make him do it. That's not how it works. Let me point out two quick things here. Number one. We're only seeing a tiny window into these people's lives. Tiny window. This is an epic moment. They're in the fire and they an epic moment. But they were drug off as slaves from back, from from their homes. Their homes were destroyed. The things they saw were disgusting and horrible. Go back and read Lamentations. A lot of it's recorded in there. They probably lost their they did lose their families. Were they killed? I don't know. Maybe butchered. Who knows? They, they saw horrible, ter- horrible things. And then they were marched 500 miles to where they are. And number two, they still died. Did they live to be 80, 90? I don't know. Did they die a week later? Don't know. It's not their story. It's God's story. It's God's story. And if you're looking for the fourth man strictly to save you from the fire, then you're missing the whole point. Faith is trusting him regardless. You know what I'm saying? God is able to rescue me, but if not, I will still worship him. I'm still worshiping him. Hebrews 11 is probably the greatest chapter on faith in the Bible. And I won't read it all, but my, it's one of my favorites in the end. And I'm going to read this to you. And it, it should, I think it's on the board. But verse 32 says this. You can make a note. Hebrews 11, verse 32. He's bragging about all these people who did all these things by faith, like Noah and Abraham and on and on. He comes to this point, he says, what more do I say? Time would fail me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. There's so many I could brag on for their faith. Watch this. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. That's like, that's Daniel. We'll get to that. Quenched the power of fire. That could be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego he's talking about. We don't know. Escaped the edge of the sword. They're made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And a lot of people love to put a period right there, and that's the end of it. It's not. Yeah, all those things are amazing miracles. But... There's no but, but there should be. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. History records that's what happened to Isaiah. Or tradition records that's what happened to Isaiah. 
they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Some of my favorite words in the whole Bible. Of whom the world was not worthy. It's both, guys. It's both. It's both. And listen to me. If you don't know the Lord, Daniel 3.29 is your verse. Who will rescue you out of my hand? Uh, Jesus said similar language in Matthew 22, verse 33, to the religious leaders, false religious leaders of his time. He said, you serpents, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Like, that's harsh language. But that's coming right from Jesus himself. He's not saying they can't. He's just saying, how are you going to? What's your plan? What's your plan? And he calls out to his friends in Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 5. Jesus says this to his friends. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. Don't be afraid of people like Nebuchadnezzar. The worst thing he can do is burn you up and it's over. Don't be afraid of them. Instead, I warn you, he says, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he's killed the body, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus saying it again. Am I trying to get hellfire and all that? No, I'm just saying. He's just saying. Not me. Jesus is just saying. It's real. It's reality. Judgment's real. Those things are real. But so is grace. That's his point. So is grace. So is John 3.16. We all know it, right? For God so what? Loved the world. That he gave, gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He made a way. So who will rescue you? For me, it's Christ, man. It's Christ. John chapter 10, verse 28. I love this verse. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And before you get it twisted, let me clarify, we're the same. I and the Father are one. You're in Jesus' hand, and nobody would dare snatch you out of his hand. But he says, we're in the Father's hand together, and nobody's able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. So, Nebuchadnezzar, no matter what happens, God will deliver us out of your hand. You can kill us, that's fine, but God will deliver us out of your hand. If you don't know Christ, listen to me, then you need to turn to the fourth man. You need to turn to the one who walks in the fire, before the fire. You know what I mean? So that you can say, even if there is fire, I'm cool. I trust you. I worship you. I follow you. And have confidence that, hey, if I face death, he's already beat that too. He's bigger than that too. Come on back up. We're going to do one more song. But listen. Faith begins with action. Faith begins with action. And it's the simplest of action. It's just turning it to Christ and saying, I put my faith in you. I trust you. I trust you. It's simple. I re- Lord, look, I'm, I'm sick of doing it my own way. And guys, let me tell you, I know all about doing it my own way. I'm sick of doing it my own way. I'm sick of running into walls. I'm sick of 
walking in fire every day. I'm sick of I'm sick of it. I don't want any more of it. I want you. Show me who you are. Lead me. Walk with me. Guide me. Teach me. Tell me. I, I want you. Guys, if you can do that, do it. You don't need to repeat after me. Just tell him. Tell him. I trust that the cross happened. I trust that you're alive. I can't explain it, but I trust it. I believe that happened. Tell him. And I put my faith in you. Let me pray. Lord, your word, as always, is amazing. I pray today, God, that if anybody has been um, challenged by your Holy Spirit, Lord, because that's what happens to respond to you, that they would do that today. They would give their life to you or they would pray in their own words directly to you. And God, you would save them today. Lord, thank you for grace. And you know what? I do believe you do miracles. 100% believe it. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't pray half the prayers I pray. I do believe you do miracles. I do believe you walk in the fire. I do believe you save people miraculously. But Lord, help us to be faithful before during and after whether it is yes or no. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.